Now, I don't know about you, but I can tend to forget things. Then um, my wife told me this week that nobody is more surprised than a husband hearing about his wife's plans the second time. Um, and she told me that after I asked her for probably the fifth time um, what her plans were for this weekend because I had forgotten them once again. Um, now, all of us can tend to forget things, but we especially forget things that we're apathetic about or that we don't really care about. If you come to me and you want to have a conversation about golf or fishing, I'm going to forget everything that you have told me as soon as you walk away um, because I am just not really that interested in either of those things. Um, but if you came to talk to me about my favorite fantasy author, Brandon Sanderson, I'm probably going to remember every single word of that conversation. Um, or if you talk to me about something else I was really interested in, my memory is going to serve me well. But we have a lot harder time remembering things that we are apathetic about. But unfortunately, we're often apathetic, not just about the things people tell us. And unfortunately, we don't just forget about the things we don't care about. Sometimes we forget things we wish we wouldn't. Sometimes we forget things that we know were important, that we're trying not to forget. And yes, we do again. The reformer Martin Luther, he told a member of his church when they asked him, why do you preach the gospel every single week? And he said, well, I do so because you keep forgetting it. And so I need to remind you. But today we not only forget the gospel, often we forget lots of things of God. And this is still true for us today. Our spiritual memories can be apathetic, not that we don't have Bible verses memorized, but that we can forget some of the primary truths of Scripture. And so this morning, um, and this is why over 237 times, the Bible commands us to remember, to remember something. So clearly there's a lot we should remember. This morning we'll only talk about three of them. Um, that Malachi, three things that Malachi wants us to remember um, at the end of Malachi chapter 3, verse 4. So if you have that, if you would turn there in your Bibles, we'll start in verse 16 of chapter 3, and we'll read all the way to the end of the book. And there's the three things that Malachi wants us to remember this morning. There's an object, a time, and some persons or people. So if you are able, if you would stand um, for the reading of God's Word for Malachi 3, verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make, take, make up my treasured possession, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts." Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statues and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. The grass withers and the flower fades, but God's word stands forever. If you'd bow your heads with me. Lord, I ask... Um, that you would help us to see Jesus as we have just sung. 
Would you help us to hear him, to see him, to touch him in your word this morning? We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. You can be seated. Um, So point number one, the first thing that we need to remember is an object. And the first thing that we all need to remember, if you're taking notes in your bulletin, is the book. So we need to remember the book. These last verses um, here brings Israel attention to a book. And this book is called the Book of Remembrance. So it is both a book they should remember and a book about remembering. Verse 16, then those who feared the Lord, they spoke with one another. And the Lord paid attention and he heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Finally, something wonderful and good happens in the book of Malachi. So Malachi has been a hard book. It's been a little bit of a harsh book. And the prophet, he's not held back on rebuking the spiritual apathy of his day. But here, some people pay attention. Despite their spiritual apathy, a fire is burning in their hearts for God, and they start to speak to one another. And it appears that they're speaking together. This is one of repentance, that they're telling each other that the prophet's words are convicting them. They're telling each other, you know, I think I want to turn from my sins. They're telling each other they want to start bringing this proper sacrifices. They're telling each other, hey, maybe we should bring the full tithe. And it's no idle talk because the Lord pays attention to their obedience. The Lord paid attention and heard them. It's not just that their voices make their way up and into God's eardrums. Because God hears everything. But God hearing here means that He does something with it. Okay, if you ask your spouse or someone to hand you the remote that's sitting beside them and they don't move and they don't say anything, your next response would be, did you hear me? Okay, because hearing is active. If you heard me, you would, something would happen. Well, God does hear and God does something. He pays attention and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. This is amazing. Every single Israelite who feared God, everyone that repented because of the prophet Malachi's words, every priest who stopped allowing false sacrifices, all of their names were written down before God. Each name is read aloud before the great heavenly host. They were recorded in a place of honor. They were placed into a book, and that book got bound. And not like a book that just sits on your shelf or a book that one of your grandchildren made. This is a book written in heaven before the throne of God. How beautiful do you think that book looked? Do you think it would have looked plain and ordinary? Or do you think it would be a book that any collector would love to have on their shelves? Because we'll look at that book. What is that about? And it goes into God's collection because our God remembers and has recorded a great many things. And the records in heaven store everything. Psalms 56 verse 8 tells us, You have kept count of all of my tossings, tossings and turnings in bed. And you have put my tears in your bottle. Are they not all in your book? All of our sleepless nights, every tear you've ever cried, they are all noticed and heard and recorded by God. Revelations 20, verse 12, tells us that one day all of the books are going to be opened. The books that record everything we have ever said and thought and done. And that sounds kind of terrifying, and that should be. 
But so why would their names being written in the book of remembrance be a good thing? Well, because of verse 17. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, then I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Their names are in the book because they belong to God, because they're his, and they're being described as his treasured possession, his most valuable, his favorite thing. I mean, do you have a treasured possession? Maybe your treasured possession is a family heirloom that's been passed down through the generations. Maybe yours is something sentimental that has special meaning. My treasured possession is a book, which should surprise none of you, um, but it's a first edition of Ulysses S. Grant's memoirs, so some of the, the original ones. It's my favorite book I own, and it sits beside my bed. If I had to get rid of all of my books um, but one, that would be the one that I would keep. But what is God's most treasured possession? What's the things that he would keep above all? It's, it's you. It's the people who put their faith in God and people who live out that faith through obedience, they are his treasured possession. And on the day of judgment, when all those books are open, the book of remembrance will be opened and those names will be spared. And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. God will spare those who have faith because he loves them. Because through Christ's blood, they've been adopted into his family. That's why it says as a man spares his son because of your identity and who you are. Many people will be cast into the lake of fire, but not God's treasured possessions. But so how do we know if we are God's treasured possession? How do we know if my name is in that book? Verse 18, then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who is the son and the one who is not, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. God tells us there is a way to distinguish between righteous and wicked people. And it's, the primary way is not by what they say. It isn't primary what they, primarily what they put their religion down on Facebook. The primary way in Malachi 3 is the one who serves God and the one who does not serve Him. Those who are righteous serve God. Their faith in Jesus, it is observable through their works and through their life. They're distinguished in how they live. Okay, I'm fairly certain if I stood outside Walmart and I asked people whether or not they were Christians, most people would say yes with their mouths. But if I followed them around for the rest of the week, would they act like it? The question is, what about us? Do we serve God in our lives? Do Have we given our lives to Jesus? Some of us might need to remember this because our name is not written in this book. You, you don't serve God. You've never placed your faith in Jesus. If that's you, I want to invite you to Jesus. But heed the ancient call of the prophets and the current call of the Holy Spirit and come and embrace Him because He loves you and He cares for you and He died for you. It was to save you from your sins. So stop running and come home. But all of us, even if we're, we are believers, we still need to remember this book because our name is written down somewhere. And if you've put your faith in Christ, if you've pleaded with Him for salvation and grace, then you have been forgotten and your name is not written in the book of remembrance. It is written in the Lamb's book of life. And it will never be erased. And so as you go throughout your day, Christian, remember the book. Remember that your name is written in the book of life, and it says that you're Christ's treasured possession, a possession that he was willing to die for. So the first thing we need to remember is remember the book. The second thing we need to remember is there's a time. We need to remember the day. We need to remember the day. And the day we're supposed to remember is the day that is to come. 
It's the day of judgment when Jesus appears, the day we sang about. The day the prophets, they often talk and they warn about this day. Just last week in chapter 3, Malachi warned about it, and he does so again because they need to remember it. Verse 1, for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. And that day is coming, shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. I love that it starts behold. Behold is just such a fun Old Testament word. And we don't use it a lot. I only ever hear it when I'm reading the Old Testament. Um, But it really is like, hey, look over here. All right, picture somebody telling all the kids back in the nursery, hey, behold, a train is coming. (laughs) Okay? And you know, you hear them. You can hear their excitement as they run to the window. That's the proper response. So Malachi is saying, hey, behold, the day is coming like a train rumbling down the tracks. And Malachi uses a lot of metaphors of fire to describe that day. He says it's going to burn like the inside of a wood fire stove. And the arrogant, the evildoers, and all of the wicked, they're going to be burned inside of it. And on that day, they will all be set aflame, God says, and it will leave them neither root nor branch. They'll be completely dealt with. Because God's justice is not some half measure. It's not compromise. It's not impure, it's not corrupt. God's justice is complete. And His justice will completely remove wickedness and evil from the face of the earth. It's not just as a punishment for evil people, but it is a purifying fire that will renew the world. That God will remove all memory and trace of evil from our world. There will be no stump to mark where evil once was. No monuments will be raised in its memory. It will pass and fade like the snow when the sun shines. And we will do well to remember that that day is coming. There's also good news for this day in verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the sole of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. So verse, you see, man, this is only good news for those who fear God's name. This is only good news for those who have put their faith in Jesus and in Christ to escape judgment. But for them, the day of judgment will bring healing. It's a good day. Yesterday, um, Calvin, my four-year-old, he asked me, hey, Dad, what would happen if I touched the sun? I'd never thought about that before, and I told him, well, it's so hot, you're, you're going to catch on fire, and you're going to burn away completely if you touch the sun. Well, but because we're so far away, it's actually good, and the sun shines, and it's warm, and it's nice. That was my best answer that I gave, but that's a small picture of what that day of judgment is going to be like. For the wicked and the evildoer, it will be as if they touched the sun. They will fade like stubble. But for the Christian, it will be like the rising of a sun after a dark winter night. And it brings healing and joy. What kind of healing can we expect on that day? Well, yes, all of it. All of the healing you can possibly imagine. Physical healing. Those of you with chronic pain will have it no more. Or sicknesses or things you can't diagnose and no doctor can figure out. It'll just be gone and healed. Gain a glorified body that will work just as God intended it to in the garden. You'll also be healed mentally. The parts of your mind that don't seem to work anymore, your memory will no longer fail. You'll be as sharp, if not probably even sharper, than you were on your best day. 
but better. Most importantly, we'll be healed spiritually. Our sinful natures will be cured and purified. There will be no part of us anymore that wanders away from the Lord. No longer will we desire to do things that we don't want to do or that we wish we didn't want to do anymore. We won't lose our temper anymore. We will no longer struggle with doubt. We will be healed by the Son of Righteousness. It will be so wonderful we will all go right out leaping like calves loosed from the stall, like a dog that's excited to finally get out of the house after being stuck inside with weeks of snow, or like a calf that's been cooped up all winter. We will all run and leap and frolic with pure joy on the day Jesus comes. Verse 3, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the sole of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. I think this is less about us participating in that day. It doesn't mean that we're going to be the ones to tread them down. I think it means that God is so removing wickedness and sin from the world, it is barely an inconvenience anymore. That the wicked who have, who have taunted and who have destroyed so much of our world and so many of some of your lives would be ash and dust and gone. Those who have kept their boot on your neck will be nothing beneath your feet. But as you look, what does it say? Who brings about the day of judgment? On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. We can't forget who brings about that day. We can't forget who causes that day to happen. We can't forget who participates in that day. God is the one who acts. Okay, not you, not me, not any king or government, only the king of kings brings judgment and justice. And we would do well to remember that. One of the reasons we're to remember this day, and although there are many, is because it reminds us why God commands us not to take revenge ourselves. Because God is going to handle things. He says, vengeance is mine. And God's vengeance is more terrible and pure and holy and righteous than we could ever possibly imagine or bring about ourselves. And so because of that, we can wait. And we can wait patiently in hope. We can resist the urge to take vengeance into our own hands, and we can remember that that day is coming. And the day that God comes, He will act, and He will judge, but He will also heal. We can remember that our healing is coming on the day our Lord returns. Point number three is the third thing that we need to remember. We need to remember the prophets. We need to remember the prophets. We remember the book, remember the day, now we remember the prophets. There are three prophets, really, we should remember. Two are mentioned in this passage, and you should probably be able to guess who the last one is going to be. Verse number four, the first prophet we're told to remember is, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. They're called to remember Moses, and they're called to remember the law and the commandments that he gave. Most of this book, Right? He has been calling them to repent because they have not been keeping the commandments of Moses. They're cutting corners. They're kind of doing whatever they want. They're going through the motions. They're straying from the law. They are not doing what God has commanded them very clearly to do. And God wants them to remember Moses. Because Moses, he was considered really the greatest prophet. He was the first prophet. He's the one who appeared out of the wilderness for, from their perspective. And he delivered them out of slavery. He led them in all of their wanderings, and He brought them into the promised land. He reintroduced them to the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. He established their nation. He gave them all of their traditions and all of their laws. 
And Malachi says, you've forgotten him. You're acting as if all of these rules and these commands are optional. But they're not from Moses. They are the things that I commanded, that I commanded him at Horeb. These are God's commands. The prophets, they only speak for God. They're not supposed to speak on their own behalf. But Israel's forgotten them. And Malachi, he specifically mentions Horeb. If you can't remember where that is, that's okay. Um, it's another name for Mount Sinai. Okay, it's the mountain where Moses ascends right up into the cloud of glory. And on that mountain, he speaks with God face to face. And on Mount Horeb is where God gave the commandments, including the ten that were written on those stone tablets that we've been studying on Wednesday. And the book of Deuteronomy, repeatedly it uses the name of Mount Horeb. Specifically, the main one I think this is connecting to is in Deuteronomy 18.16. The people say, hey, don't let me hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. Because Moses is up on the mountain getting the law. He's speaking to God. The mountain is on fire. And it's surrounded by smoke and thunder and lightning. And it's terrifying. You can understand by someone who would say, um, I don't think I want to go up there. Please make this stop. I'm scared. They want God to be quiet and leave them alone. Just, just Moses can go do that. Let Moses hear it. And this passage, God again is reminding them of the fire that's to come. And they should heed God's voice. They should heed the voice of the prophets who have been speaking to them, including Moses. Otherwise, that fire is going to come down and it will burn instead of heal and warn. But there's another prophet there to remember. Verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet before the great and the awesome day of the Lord comes. They're to remember Elijah the prophet. And Elijah is probably one of my personal favorite prophets. Uh, mostly because the stories of him are so incredible um, and exciting to remember. Okay, stories like him um, commanding bears to go and attack mockers. Stories of him being carried away on a chariot of fire up into heaven. Stories like his prayer caused the land to be in a drought for years until he decided to pray for rain again. My favorite is the story of him taking on all of the prophets of Baal. And they have this contest. They're going to see, well, whose God is real? And so they bring out these bulls and they take turns. And Elijah says, okay, it'll be just me and all you hundreds of prophets. You call on your God and we'll see which God sends fire down from heaven. And whichever God does that, they win. But I'll let you go first. And so they spend all these hours going. And the whole time the prophets are cutting themselves and they're crying and they're pleading. Elijah just mocks them. He says, well, try harder. And then when it's his turn, they say, okay, you go. He says, well, first, dump water, buckets and buckets of water all over my cow. Because I want you to know this is God. And they do it. And then he prays and the fire comes down. It's such a great story. Okay, how many Hebrew boys do you think went around pretending to be Elijah as they played? <laughs> a lot, I would imagine. And God wants them, remember, remember those stories. Remember Elijah. And technically, it's not just remember the Elijah that has come, but remember Elijah is coming again. I will send Elijah. Behold, verse 5, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. When they read and think and remind themselves of those stories, they need to remember Elijah is coming again. We've been studying the book of Luke, and after we finish Malachi this morning, we're going back to Luke next week. And Luke's gospel tells us in those first four chapters that Elijah has come again. And he's come in John the Baptist because John comes in the spirit of Elijah to do the things Malachi prophesies here. This is why we sing this morning that these are the days of Elijah. 
Because we're, we're in it. Elijah has come already. We're not waiting. And Elijah through John, or John the Baptist and the spirit of Elijah warned us that Jesus was coming. That's why John is born and he appears before Jesus. Before the one who heals. Before the one who rises like the sun. The sun of righteousness. And John paves the way for Jesus just like Elijah did. And he does that so that we will all be ready when this day appears. And John came first to prepare Israel. So that they would be ready. Because, hey, this day's coming. John wanted them to repent. That's why he kept saying, repent, repent, come and be baptized. Turn from your sins because your Savior is about to appear. But he also came so that we would be prepared for the day that Jesus comes again. Riding on the sky. Because Jesus, when he returns, it's going to be a great day. It's going to be a day that I think we will all stare up to the sky in awe and wonder. Look at verse 6, what else will happen? He says, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So first, what's this turning of the fathers and hearts mean? Well, this turning is usually used to describe repentance, right? The turning away from your sins and a turning towards God, or they have turned away from God and turned towards their sins. But part of what Elijah is doing here, what I think he is saying is that this is going to be restoring the familial relationship. That families are going to be brought back together again. Because one indicator of a broken or a sinful society is when the family is destroyed. When you have a father who's abusive and he's neglectful and hateful towards his children. When you have children who are rebellious and hateful towards their parents who are loving and kind and really are good. So the prophet does it. He says he's going to come and he's going to bring a transformational restoration that begins there. At home. Because if the nation is not transformed, what's going to happen? They're going to be punished again. He's going to come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Once again, their land will be struck by enemies. Land will be burned and salted by nations like Babylon did before. And the only hope is if they turn from their sins and obedience. The problem is that kind of salvation and redemption that can't come from the prophet. Salvation can't come from Elijah can't come from Moses. They can come and they can tell people to change. They can plead with people to change. They can use awesome stories and work miracles and beg them, but they can't make people change. They don't have the power to make sinners righteous. It can only come from the true and the ultimate prophet. It can only come from Jesus. Because in Jesus, everything that the prophets spoke about was fulfilled and revealed. Because Jesus is a king, our priest, and our prophet. The role of a prophet, right, is to speak on behalf of God. They're a mediator between us and God because we can't go up to the mountain or we'll die. We need someone to hear God's words and to tell us what he says. But their words, the prophets, they only have as much authority as they reflect God's word, as they rightly reflect it and not just say their own things. But Jesus is a prophet because he spoke for God. Even though he prophesied the future and everything he said has come true. He told his disciples one example over and over again. He said, hey, I'm going to die. And in three days, I'm going to come back. And then he did. Jesus is the best prophet, though, not just because he speaks for God, but because he is God. Because the second person of the Holy Trinity is truly God. And every word Jesus speaks is spoken from the mouth of God. And Jesus does what none of the prophets can do. Jesus is actually able to turn people's hearts. 
Right? The old prophets, they called people to repentance, but they were rarely heeded, even the best ones. Isaiah had no converts. Jeremiah had no one who listened to him. But Jesus is the one who can actually bring repentance through his blood. Jesus is the one who can transform our hearts of stone into new hearts. Jesus is the one who can come into our lives and breathe life into these dead bones. Jesus is the one who can let us be born again. And Jesus is the only prophet who can save us from that day of judgment. The previous prophets, they always warned Israel has to repent. And if you fail to repent, that judgment and destruction is coming. And so their salvation there from, from that um, from their enemies, it was always dependent on their obedience, it seems. Right? They needed their works. They needed true and full obedience from judgment. Their whole nation had to do this. But for us, Jesus came to be our true and our full obedience. Because only Christ could be perfect. Because of the perfect life that Jesus lived, we can be saved from judgment. And this deliverance is available to any sinner who wants it, any sinner who remembers Jesus who remembers to call upon the name of Christ, that all who do so be saved. And so remember the prophets, but above all, remember the prophet Jesus. Because only in Jesus can our salvation and true life be found. So as you go throughout your day today, as you feel your memory fade, and as you feel the spiritual apathy set in, remember the prophet Jesus. Remember the priest Jesus who sacrificed himself because he loves you. Remember the King Jesus who rules on your behalf. Remember the wonder of your salvation. So where have we been this morning? We've talked about three things we need to remember. We need to remember the book. We need to remember the day. And we need to remember the prophets. Beloved, don't forget. And let your remembrance of these things sustain your faith in Jesus. But even if you do forget, have hope. Because even as your memory starts to fade, even as your memory fades as you age, know that Jesus will never forget you because your names are written down in the book of life. I invite us to pray and we're going to transition to a time of communion. Lord, I ask that you would help our memories. Lord, we so often forget things. Um, I, I'm sure there are things that I really wanted to say that I forgot to say. There are things that, that we're going to have to do today that we are going to forget about. And there are things that are of eternal importance that we will also forget. Lord, we ask that you would come and you would aid our memory through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, would you help us to remember that our salvation is dependent on you and on Jesus, not on ourselves. As we remember the book of life. Would you help us to remember the day when you will come again with justice and salvation. And would you help us to remember Jesus and all that you have done for us, all that you are doing for us and all that you yet will do. Would you help us see you and don't let us forget. I pray this in your holy and your precious name. Amen. There is nothing like the peace that Jesus offers the peace that passes all understanding. Um, most weeks when I dismiss you after our benediction, I say, go in peace. It's not meant to be just a generic dismissal, but a reminder that we leave this place in the peace of Jesus. 
That's how our benediction ends as well. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in the peace of Jesus.